The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing a car that's got style and substance to spare. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Featuring a sophisticated, muscular new exterior and available options like a premium JBL audio system and panoramic roof. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Toyota. Let's go places. JBL and Clarifier, registered trademarks of Harman International Industries Incorporated. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, you're, you're actually getting a podcast week. Yeah, you're actually getting a podcast week. We got a, we got a late night edition. We are we are chatting directly after the Syracuse loss to Georgia Tech. Something I kind of saw coming. Nobody else really seemed to be on board with it. Um, yeah, we don't play well away from the dome ever, and, uh, ever <laughs> the last couple of years especially. And we uh, have decided that we want to make potentially making the tournament as painful and uh, difficult a process as possible by being a mitts bag against every team in our like general area of the world in the ACC and and below us, except for Boston College. Boston College for some reason. Yeah, I, I do feel like in general this team is this team feels like it's on more stable footing than last year's from a resume standpoint, but I feel like from an actual play standpoint, um, I do feel like every single game is kind of this like adventure and like how are we gonna mess this up in the in the most explosive way possible. But like we're still close enough in every game that it just drives you up a wall. Yeah, and it's weird. This isn't even like the like class. I mean, it's class at Syracuse in a lot of ways. Like we before we started recording, we talked about Frank Howard, the football foot throwing off or the ball throwing off of his foot. Uh, luckily, his foot didn't actually come off because that's like you know that would fit in pretty well with the injury concerns the rest <laughs> of the team. Um, but uh, you know, just dumb mistakes down the stretch. We actually hit our free throws, um, if I remember correctly. I think we were like really good from the line, which is a, a fun different variation on how to lose these teams. From the field, we only shot 30%. So, you know, you can be perfect from the line. And if you're only making 15 to 50 shots, and um, even though we had a nice, like, a pretty stalwart defensive effort, uh, when your opponent gets, you know, 13 more shots from than you because you have, you know, 15 turnovers, and uh, it's just not great. So it, it's funny because, like, we, we won a lot of the, like, little battles that we, we usually can point to in, ter- in terms of... Um, you know, Syracuse's success. Uh, we held Georgia Tech to literally the exact same poor three-point percentage as us. Um, they got the line uh, only 12 times and only hit, you know, two-thirds of those. Uh, we out-rebounded them slightly. They had more offensive boards, but we had a 40-38 to 38 edge overall. Um, but we turned the ball over a lot. Um, they blocked us, I think, which is, I feel like Georgia Tech, for whatever reason, like whenever we play them, they, they rack up blocks. I could be making that up, but that seems like a thing that's in my head. Yeah, I'd have to look that up to to see the veracity there. But it sounds right, just because Lammers it feels right. pretty good. Yes, um, and also once again, like assists, like we just ball movement is not at a premium, no. and a lot of that's just the fact that we don't have guys who really uh, store on the inside, and we don't have you know great drum shim shooters either. So like our our you know best mode of storing is to take the ball to the hoop, and that means a lot of one-on-one plays. So the assist numbers haven't been good all year, and once again, we were up nine, I think, for this team. So pretty ugly basketball overall. Um, and it's funny because like, occasionally this team puts together a fun game to play, but there are other nights where it's just a, a chore to watch them. The thing is, like, you know, we, we, we deride Virginia's style of play, but at least, like, Virginia is efficient on both ends, and at least, like, you know that they're going to be able to come up with that big defensive stop more often than not. Um, for Syracuse... You see very, very, you know, short flashes of, of quality play on offense, but by and large, like it's a very inefficient offense that plays slow. To me, if you're going to play inefficient offense, play fast. You know, it, it goes, you know, the same principles that kind of guide the football team. Like until you're going to be play efficiently, until you're going to be good on the offensive end, you might as well maximize your possessions um, and you know try to speed up the game and, and score as much as possible because. Like, this team can't really hit shots at a reasonable clip. And no, you're not always going to shoot 30%, but even if you shoot, you know, between 37 and 42%, uh, maximizing possessions probably gets you a win in a game like this, especially when Georgia Tech, you know, while they did some things right, they largely tried to give this game away for most of the second half. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a big difference between, like, us and and, and Virginia. Like, their, their very deliberate pace is uh, kind of a, a feature more than a bug, um, and they are... 
pretty. I mean, this whole run with them has been pretty uh, impressively efficient on the offensive end. Um, they're right now number thirty-eight in Pomeroy's adjusted offensive efficiency, um, while they are three fifty-first in uh, in uh, tempo. While we are uh, one hundred thirty. Actually, that's. I, I thought we'd be worse. I thought we'd be worse in offense. We are one hundred thirty-first, which like makes no um, sense to me. Like none. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense at all. Um, we're actually eighth in defense, which is is uh, I, I better that. than I thought. Um, I knew we've been good. This seems a really good defensive team. Uh, this is the best defensive team we've had in like two or three years, which is unfortunate because I mean it's unfortunate that we're kind of wasting a, a pretty good effort um, by having a very stagnant offense. And like 131st really does not feel like uh, anywhere near as bad as we actually are. Um, the only team ahead of us, like there's there's no team ahead of us in overall uh, Pomeroy rankings that is worse on offense. The next team that uh, we finally, so we were 49th overall, and you have to go down to 68 Mississippi State, uh, who are 160th in offense and 12th in defense. So, like, our offense is, like, pretty much a sore thumb. Um, And we are 343rd in tempo, which is actually just slightly ahead of Virginia. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) So, but we actually play them pretty well, so it's, like, it's weird. Like, it seems like we'd be playing right into their hands, and instead, like, we actually play them tough. So, I don't know. Well, because um, we figured out the one thing that, that they can't really deal with, and, like, Louisville's figured that out a little bit. West Virginia figures that out every time they play. Virginia just can't handle when you press them into doing things they don't want to do. And, like, it's not that other teams don't have the athletes to do it. I think most of the ACC actually has the athletes to do it. It's just that I feel like Jim Beheim's abilities as a defensive coach are what puts SU kind of in a different echelon in terms of what they're how they're able to frustrate Virginia and and Huggins does the same thing um you know with West Virginia yeah um it's just uh it, it's tough because I think we're, we're kind of stuck in a like there's no way with this roster to really change how I mean you, you could say we could move the ball better but like it, we're kind of in a in a tough position with the roster as it is constructed because we have so few guards, we have so few uh, scoring options. Even beyond fewer three. guards now. We, yeah, now we have uh, literally we are at the the fewest possible guards. Um, did uh, did uh, we have any walk ons actually play tonight? I, uh, no, no, we didn't. We played seven. Yeah, um, and Moyer only played two minutes. Yeah, Moyer was in two two minutes, which is weird. And then Bayer didn't play, which like fine, I guess. But I feel like we're gonna have to see him on the floor at some point. Yeah, I mean, it's just, like, unlikely that our three backcourt players are going to go full games without getting in any foul trouble. So we probably will have to see him at some point. Which, you know, lovely. We've, we've, it's been a couple of years since we uh, needed to, like, see walk-ons in legitimate uh, playing time. But we're, we're back. I, I really think that we need to, to give Jamal Custis a call. Yeah, what are you doing for this semester, Jamal? I mean, he... He did come in as someone who thought about playing basketball. It was a conversation that was had when he joined the team. I don't think it's the worst idea at this point. I feel like we're in much more desperate straits than we were when Mike Williams was on the team. <laughs> like, for that brief stretch. Actually, that might have been even before you were there. Yeah, that was, I think, like the year before you got there when Mike Williams was briefly on the team and scored like 10 yeah. points. I was there when uh, we had a lacrosse player on the team. Uh, who was it? He was good. Um Blanking uh, Kevin something. Mm. Yeah, I don't have a last name like off the top of my head. I'll come up. I'll come up with it. But yeah, uh, I think it might be time to tap into the uh, tap into the football team <laughs> since we have a lot of like kind of big fast receivers. Uh, might not be the worst idea to plug one of them in um, just as a stopgap measure. You might not even have to play. Just think it'd be. Uh, I think it would be ideal to have at least a little more depth. It's not that the walk-ons are bad. It's that I'd rather not <laughs> use them if, if we can avoid it because if we're dipping into the, the walk-on pool with the schedule we have left, you know, right now, I'd only feel comfortable. I, actually, I wouldn't feel comfortable claiming any of these as sure wins. Um, I'd feel comfortable giving us wins against Boston College and Wake. Um, but, like, we have to go – we arguably have to go 5-4 and four, um, in this – you know, late stretch if we have any chance of making the tournament. And of those five wins we'd probably need, I'd say one or two probably need to be on the road. Um, and that road slate, for those who don't have it in front of them like I do, um, Louisville, Miami, Duke, Boston College. Um, all those are difficult. Duke's obviously the toughest one. 
Um, I think Miami's feasible, uh, if only because of their own injuries. Um, but yeah, th- this is a uh, this is a perilous stretch as we uh, as we you know kind of look at what should be another uh, bubble filled um, February and March now. Yeah, I'm actually like this game aside. This game is frustrating. I'm like not too overly freaking out about the, the upcoming stretch. UVA, like I feel like we've had these big home wins the last couple of years, even when we haven't been good. Right. We've notched like a big signature home win. And we were so close to beating UVA in Charlottesville, uh, despite the fact that they're very good. They're number two in the country. And honestly, I think they should be getting more love at number one. It wouldn't totally shock me if we beat them at the Dome. Um, obviously, we've played them tough for like three years now. Um, Louisville, I'm interested to see how that game plays out, um, considering Patino's no longer there. They have a new coach. Um, and coaching uh, against the zone to the level that Patino always did is way easier said than done. Um, so I'm interested to see how Paget handles that in his first matchup with Bayheim. Um, and that team is just not great. It's, it, they're kind of a mess. They're, they're talented, but, and they're, they're definitely a, probably a better, I mean, they're in a better spot than us, but they're, you know, kind of all over the place. We need to beat Wake. We should probably beat NC State at home. Um, like you said, Miami is, is vulnerable. Obviously that's tough. It's a nooner on the road, which is tough. Um, but they've had their own injury issues. Um, and then later on in the year, obviously UNC and Duke are, are you know, I'm not going to put all my eggs in those baskets, although, you know, we could beat UNC at home. But um, getting that win at BC is huge. Like, that's obviously the the easiest uh, road game we have left by a large margin, and you need to pick up at least something on the road. Right. Um, and we've had, you know, we had the UVA game and the Florida State game um, and the Wake game that were all very close. Uh, so it, it, those are all very tough. If we could have swung one or two of those, we'd be in much better shape. It also hurts, uh, it's weird to say, it hurts uh, that Buffalo lost last night to Kent State. Um, our best win. Uh, yeah, it literally, RPI-wise, which is a dumb metric that shouldn't have as much weight as it does, um, is our best win, or was our best win. I don't know if they still are. Um, and based on this like quadrant thing that the NCAA is, apparently, I think it's, a, it's new for this year, right? I don't remember ever hearing about it before this year. Yeah, they're like uh, sticking to it in a way that, like they've always kind of considered it, but now it's like a public, like, this has things need to happen this way. So I, I kind of appreciate it in terms of like it makes it easier to kind of track what is important and what isn't. But like it doesn't seem like there's a lot of time. I mean, I'm sure that they're not just looking at that, but it seems it's kind of weird, weirdly context free in terms of like how the games went. Um, you could lose by three or lose by thirty to UVA, and it seems like it all fits into the same the same bubble. That sounds of, like college sports. Yeah, that's true. And I don't know <laughs> that margin of victory is like everything, but I think there's a difference between a team that like really held its own against a bunch of ranked opponents and had a, and you know couldn't quite pull one out versus a team that like picked off one and they got blown out by four others. So right. um you know, I don't think it's gonna be everything, but uh if it is a, a huge factor that is now public, uh Buffalo probably falling out of like that quadrant one win, quote unquote, um, which is weird because I don't think Buffalo's our best win necessarily. I think Maryland's probably a better team. I think um Bot-Tech. probably the other win yeah. Botex definitely a better team. Either way. Um, losing that, even if it was like a kind of a, a, a weird, you know, a weird, like not as impactful as it, you know, probably at, you know, seems like it is in that metric. Um, you'd still like to have them end up as like a tournament team and a, a nice, uh, non-conference victory. Well, what I'm concerned about now looking at the schedule, I mean, there's definitely wins to be had here if we just play up to our level of talent. The problem is... You know, when you look at, we have four ranked teams left. We could easily go five and four in this stretch and all the wins be against unranked teams. Yeah, which would put us at 20-11. I think we'd probably need an ACC tournament win. I think we need at least one because honestly, like if you go into the tournament, if you go into the ACC tournament and your best win is Miami? Vontek, Miami, Buffalo. Yeah, it would have to be like Miami, Louisville would have to be in there. If it's not ready. a super strong resume. No. That being said, five and four, that would put us, what, nine and nine in the ACC? Yeah. It depends on the bubble. The bubble, like, I, I don't have a great read for it so far. I mean, it's, um, we, it's, it's really weak, but it's just like last year. You know, last year, if Rhode Island hadn't won the A-10, we would have been in, and we, wouldn't have ha- and we wouldn't be having all the conversations we've had, you know, in the ten months since. Yeah, it, it's tough. It's also tough, like, with these weak bubbles, because then you you know, one thing being more weighted than the others, like, is a huge swing in terms of if you get in or not. So, 
we will see. It's going to be a, another bumpy ride down the stretch here as, as we've grown far too accustomed to. 100%. And I think last year, you know, going into this, not too much longer, but more saying, you know, last year we had the quality wins. We just didn't have them on the road. And that's what was the difference between the 16 tournament and the 17 tournament was in 16 we had, you know, the road win at Duke. We had the UConn and Texas A&M wins in the Bahamas. Like, those wins were away from the dome. We were able to, to tally those. Last year, our three best wins were, you know, in a you know four-week stretch all at the Dome, and we weren't really able to do anything away. I think we went like 2-8 and eight, um, in true road games last year, um, which is pretty bad. And the only two wins were like, you know, furious comeback efforts against NC State and Wake, um, the same Wake team that beat us into the field, which I still don't understand, um, but whatever. So, yeah, I think this year, if we go 5-4 and four and we beat the five unranked teams, I don't think we're getting in. Uh, e- even if we hit, you know, the 9-9 nine and nine mark, I think we've got to... If you did that, you'd have to find a way to get an upset somewhere in the ACC tournament because that that resume would be largely kind of bereft of, you know, the real quality wins that have kind of buoyed our um, our case in recent seasons. You just reminded me that we didn't get in and Wake Forest did last year, yeah. and it bothers me all over again. Because we beat them. <laughs> like, beat yep. them. And the beat res- them, and our resumes were very close, and you would think head-to-head would mean a little bit more when that is the case. Alas, it did not. It is not. Although, the same thing happened the year before, technically. Um, did Pitt sweep us, or did they go 2-1 and one against us? I don't remember. It was one or the other. Yeah, I mean, it was Pitt, so they, aside from this year, when Pitt is just the worst, um, they they usually, yeah, they probably swept us. Yeah. <laughs> so if they swept us, or even went 2-1 and one against us, and we still got seated better than they did as an at-large team that year. <laughs> so just to, just to provide some, some additional weird context, um, these types of things do happen occasionally, whether they are fair or not. I guess why don't we look a little bit ahead to Virginia and then we can move on to some football stuff and some other things. And National Signing Day is coming up next week. Um, for those confused as to how we're here again, quote-unquote, it's because there are now two signing days. Um, and this one is going to matter for Syracuse, not as much as the previous one, but uh, nonetheless still important. It seems like there's there's some like decent intrigue down the stretch here and we've it, we, it seems like we've gotten involved with guys like very late in the game and are actually getting results which is nice yeah i i'm fine with it and again like that's i think we'll talk about that in the second half but um yeah i i'm excited to chat a little bit more about the recruiting front um dan before we get to that though virginia um we started mentioning the who's earlier they're very good um they have not lost in quite a while I'd argue, like you would, that they're the number one team in the nation. Um, I can say, do you think we have a chance? Because I think we do. Um, where would you put the odds right now? Um, I think we have a decent chance. I, I, as I said before, like it's at the Dome. We know how to play them um, better than we know how to play a lot of teams that have like specific styles. Um, I don't think we're going to be afraid of them. I mean, we lost at by seven at uh, you know in Charlottesville a couple weeks weeks ago. Frank Howard had an awesome game. Um, well, he had a, a good game, inefficient game, but uh, no one's really all that efficient against Virginia on defense. Um, Chukwu had a nice game that uh, he had that 16 rebound performance. So, like, we our guys, I think there should be some confidence that they can match up with them and that they can play with them. We need more than zero bench points, um, which was nice. the case last time. Um, and hopefully, no excited tweets about it from staff members at SU afterwards. My. <laughs> 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 I'm not sure if we should have that out or not. <laughs> nah, just, you, you just want to be ripping Jays. You can... <laughs> <laughs> ripping Jays. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Um, we should probably not let Kyle Dry score 22 points on 14 shots. Yeah, that's... Um, that's, that's yeah, I mean... Preferable. They're just... They're very good. They play within themselves very well. Um, they had more than zero bench points. They actually had 18, 15 from uh, Hunter... Um, in there, I don't know that he's quite like a, a total nobody, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if that was like one of his best performances of the year. Uh, no, he's he scored a bunch in other games too. That makes it feel better. So it's gonna be tough, but I do think we have a, a legitimate shot. I don't know if we have odds out yet. Usually, college basketball takes yeah, it's like day before day of. Yeah. But um, 
being at the dome really helps. And you know, as we've learned in recent years, like getting those big dome wins aren't everything. But at this point, we need just big wins in general. And this would put us on a, a really good path, especially because Virginia is like cruising to a one seed right now. I mean, at this point, I'd be, and you look at the remaining schedule for them, I'd be shocked if they don't get a one seed, even if we did manage to knock them off. Um, we're arguably one of the hardest games they have left. Um, this uh, this Virginia team is very good, and it's not as dependent on, not like dependent on one guy. I don't think they're ever dependent on one guy, but I will say, like, this is, I feel like this team is much more of a collective than, like, the Malcolm Brogdon teams or, like, the uh, Parantas team. Like, I, I do feel like this uh, this group is much more of a collective. And, like, Kyle Guy is obviously very good, but, um, you know, he's not the end-all, be-all, and there's so many guys on this team, um, you know, that can really aggravate um, you on both ends of the floor. So I think this Virginia team is going to be, you know... Uh, Quite the opponent, not really a, an easy out by any means. Not that we expected them to be, but you know, you, you look ahead at the schedule for them. Like they could easily put together one of the better regular seasons um, in recent memory. You know, for a power conference team, where they're probably ending the regular season somewhere in the like twenty nine thirty win range. Yeah, I mean they're already twenty one and one. Um, and it's not like they haven't played anyone. Like, I was just going through their ACC games. Like, they've only won... They're undefeated in the ACC. They've only had three games within single digits, which was our, their first ACC game. They beat BC by one, which is a bizarre yeah. uh, a bizarre result considering everything else. And they beat us by seven at home. Uh, BC was at home, too. And then at Duke, they had their first win uh, at Cameron in a long time. They won by two. Everything else, like... And they, they played some good teams. They beat the hell out of Virginia Tech... They beat UNC by by twelve. They beat uh, Clemson, who's very good 25. this year, by like thirty. Yeah, almost thirty points. Um, they just beat Louisville by ten. You know how is they, Clemson you know, this good? By the way, I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Like they the don't blossom have game comment. left, and I was like, oh, okay, so Clemson's gonna suck. Yeah, that's what it seemed like. I, mean, I think they were picked like what they were picked in the bottom like quarter of the conference. I think right. 100%. I mean, I, 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 this was not the best way to open up. Like, how is Clemson good? And I opened up their box score against Virginia when they scored 36 points. Yeah. So that wasn't the answer. <laughs> how was Clemson bad that one time? <laughs> um, they're good because they have five guys throwing double digits. Um, they, I mean, talk about a collective. Like, they just have uh, a really nice, like, balanced roster um, overall. Like, I, I think that's just, like, there's not one guy that jumps off the page at you. Like, none of these guys are super household names. Right. But... Um, they just uh, accrued a lot of uh, impressive talent, and then they lost that on Zion Williamson, which is hilarious. I mean, I'm not thrilled he's going to Duke, though. Fair, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I'm I'm just kind of tired of, of the top players all going to Duke at this point. Uh... I I was I when that happened, I was uh, so much has happened since we last did this. Uh, I think we've both gone on one vacations. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, I, I tried to weigh whether I would rather just have him go to Duke and bet on and just, like, let them, um, like, take up all that talent and just, like, write those names off as washes or, like, bet that they won't figure it out because that has happened with Duke uh, a couple times in these last couple years. Um, or if I would have rather had him on Clemson and made Clemson, like, legitimately good mm-hmm. but Duke not quite as good and then have to deal with him and then have to deal with Duke just being talented no matter what anyway because they already have the other three guys. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'd rather, just, I'd rather just take the out. Just, just, You'd rather just take him what? I'd just rather just take the L against Duke. And yeah, then... but the problem is that Clemson, like, are right. these guys, are they seniors? Like, I don't even, I don't know anything about this Clemson team, except I've watched them multiple times, and they're, like, they're legitimately good. They they play really hard. They close out games, except for this Virginia game, which was a disaster, but UVA is really good. Um, a couple of nice wins. They got the Miami at full strength. They got uh, UNC that they pulled off the other day. They beat Florida earlier in the year. I mean... All right, they're super veteran, which explains a lot. Right. Uh, of their top five guys, three are juniors, two are seniors. Oh, well. So, yeah, that's, that's what happens. Yeah, I, I just kind of want Clemson to lose, like, in everything, so I... I'm fine with that, yeah. Yeah, I'm fine I mean, with they, them, like, not having nice things. They'll be fine. Uh, they also don't need to be good at basketball. Like, come on. Yeah. You have Yeah, you, you definitely have enough of late. Um, just read. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think uh, Clemson, Clemson to end the season sounded pretty awesome at the beginning, and now I'm not so sure. 
Um, that said, you know, Clemson sticks around the top 15, 20. Um, Syracuse get a win th- uh, against them. That one's at the Dome uh, to end it. So, yeah, maybe if Syracuse can... Like, if, if they can't get any of those kind of upsets, whether it's against Duke or Virginia or whatever or North Carolina, um, maybe they're able to beat Clemson at the Dome once again um, for the second time in, you know, six, seven months. Yeah. It, it did seem like uh, like it would have set itself up nicely for us because, like, again, we thought Clemson was going to be bad and BC was right before them. And, you know, who knows? We have Clemson at the Dome, which at least, so... That, that helps, because apparently that's like a, a, a somewhat weirdly hard place to play this year. Yeah, I, I just, I'm, I'm so sick and tired of talking about Clemson basketball. <laughs> <laughs> just, I just don't want to. Um, all right, why don't we why don't do a little halftime, then we can kind of pivot to the sport we usually talk about a little bit more. Sounds good. So, uh, yeah, as Dan mentioned, we've both been on vacation uh, recently. Dan was down in Austin at one point. Um, and then I was in Italy for almost two weeks, which is very relaxing, and I feel much more recharged now. I am, uh, it's definitely a, a needed break from everything Syracuse, and apparently I picked the right games to miss in BC and Pitt. However, now that I'm back, Syracuse is losing, so if anyone wants to fund me to go back to Europe, feel free. <laughs> We'll, we'll, we'll definitely purchase uh, purchase you a ticket. Uh, I know. Run the block from Italy. I saw I saw that James was looking up tickets to send my ass back during the game. Uh, looked like eight hundred was the best you were going to do for a one way to Rome uh, before the Virginia game. <laughs> <laughs> we should have planned this out better. We should have. Uh, we should have. We should have bought like a while ago just to see in case it would have gone bad after, and you know maybe got it early enough where we could have gotten a refund. <laughs> I mean, I, I I won't argue with it at this point. If, if SU loses like a couple in a row, you might have to make some travel plans. <laughs> anyway, uh, Dan, what have you been drinking these last couple of weeks? I have a decent amount. So I'm gonna try to limit myself here. Um, unfortunately, when I was in Austin, I couldn't I could not for the life of me find Jester King Boom. anywhere, which is weird because I went to a bunch of beer bars. Um, they don't do a lot of a lot stuff of... on draft. I found yeah, down there. Like I, I found their find bottles. Them. I went to we went to liquor stores. I couldn't find them. And then on Monday, when we were like just kind of hitting all the random stuff that we hadn't been able to do during the weekend, they were closed. Yeah. So I probably could have planned that out better. But we were like we went to San Antonio one day, so that kind of ate up most of that day. And then like we did a bunch of other stuff the other day. So like Monday was the day we were just like hitting like little things. And that was like oh we'll see if we can go to the brewery. And they were closed that day. But I could not. We went to like we went to a liquor store um, at one point to buy other stuff. And I was like oh they'll probably have some here. Nope. None of the beer bars I went to, so it was tough. I, I didn't get any of that. So that, that was disappointing. I will have to go back to Austin just for that um, and other things. We didn't get to do everything we wanted because it's a really cool city. But um, did have some good stuff. Um, actually had something from uh, one of your favorite spots. I had the mash and coconut from the brewery, yeah, um, which was really, really good. Love that. Um, yeah, awesome. Um, I know I always – I mean, every time I say, like, you know, I've had a, a, a nice dark, like I'm like a – you know, I preface it by saying it's not usually my thing, but, like, this is delicious. The coconut was um, really well well used. Um, I, I know coconut's kind of like a controversial flavor for some people. I love coconut, and this you definitely got that, uh, but it wasn't like you know over the top. The mash flavor also made like an interesting like balance of the flavors. Um, really liked that. Uh, so that was good. Obviously not a, a Texas beer, but still quite good. Um, I had a spirit animal from Blue Owl, which I think is a local uh, a local brewery down there. Um, uh, this is now a couple weeks ago, so I'm trying to remember some stuff. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, they are. That's awesome. awesome micro. Um, that was, I believe, a sour. Uh, yes, it was a sour that was really good. Um, that also, it's like kind of interesting. They had some. It was a, a dry hopped uh, sour, which uh, made for a pretty interesting flavor profile. Um, I had a pecan porter, five twelve pecan porter from five twelve brewing, which I think is also a local down there. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, which was good. Uh, another one, like a darker one, but uh, some interesting flavors, which I found a lot of. Um, I had a stash IPA from Independence Brewing, um, another local, I believe. Yep, um, which was uh, very solid. Not like you know anything crazy, but just a really rock solid IPA. Santo by St. Arnold. Uh, I'm trying to remember this, I think this was a more interesting one. Yeah, it was a Black Kolsch, which was really interesting. Um, I know that's not like technically a thing. 
but uh, definitely an interesting blend of, of styles. I guess that's just how they've like been describing it. But uh, I had a Hoppadio uh, IPA from Tarbock, which was really, really delicious. Probably the best IPA I had down there. Um, yeah, I think that's one of the best IPAs I've had down there, too, to be honest. Yeah, really, really good. I was glad, That was like one of those where I wasn't quite sure I wanted another IPA, but I just kind of went with it. That's a, that's a Houston one. I don't remember if I had that. No, that was in Austin. I wasn't sure if that was Austin or San Antonio. Um, I had a Pale Mosaic from Hops and Grain, which was good. Uh, and then I think the last one, which was back up here, that was interesting, is I had uh, in Hoboken, I had a Grand Cru Winter Reserve from Flying Fish, um, which was a, a strong Belgian. Uh, and that was delicious. Um, just really, really full, aggressive flavors. Um, so that was really good and not a Texas beer. That is a Jersey beer. Yeah. Seems like you hit most of the, the Texas breweries other than Jester King in terms yeah, of... Yeah, I got like a pretty good sampling of the other ones. And like Jester King was like the one I was looking out for. So I was kind of flying, flying blind on the others, but uh, ended up with a pretty, pretty nice beer trip, um, even though that wasn't like a super focus. So uh, definitely happy with, with what we got. Fair enough. Uh, for me, uh, yeah, I was not on a super beer trip either. I definitely drank plenty of wine while I was in Italy, but did find plenty of beer too, um, including a couple bars that I felt like were just airlifted from Brooklyn and put right into the middle of both Rome and Florence. Um, had a Parrot Invasion IPA from Rebels Brewery. Uh, all these, pretty much all these are Italian breweries. Um, that one was pretty good. Kind of some grapefruit notes. Definitely more of a West Coast style. They haven't gotten on the haze train over there just yet, which is good, in my opinion. Um, walked into one bar, and they happened to have uh, Cantillon on tap. So had a uh, classic Guse from them. It's one of my probably, well, it's arguably the best Lambic on the market. Um, from Ritual Lab, also another Italian brewery, had a uh, Tupamaros. It was an IPA. What else did I have? Uh, I stopped at... Brew Dog over in Florence. Um, not that it's like a local spot, obviously, but they did try to highlight some local beer as well as their own. Had their Jackhammer IPA. Um, just felt like the whole. It was fine. Just felt like the whole experience a little too like Anglo-Americanized. Um, even though they were serving some Italian beers, uh, one Italian brewery, uh, Lover Beer. Uh, they had a sour ale called the uh, Beer Brunia, and that one was really good. Had. Probably one of the better pills I've had in a while from Hilltop Brewery. Uh, it was a Gluck Pills. It was super good. It had like really nice. It was nice and light, but then also had like some really nice flavor and hoppy notes, despite being pretty light. Um, stopped in over at one brewery um, there. It's Arkea Brewery. Um, had their Hydra IPA that was good, and then their uh, kind of signature Bach that they had on draft. That was really it. It's a Good spots, found some good beers. Definitely, uh, definitely happy I got to sample some of the Italian beer scene while also enjoying again plenty of wine while I was there. Yeah, I mean we talked about it before you went. Like definitely not what you would uh, expect to look out for in Italy, but uh, it's always cool to to try some beers you probably almost definitely won't find here since most of the imports we get are from you know Belgium or or Germany or somewhere that's more beer centric. Yeah, and most of those two you're going to end up with like ones that are related to like the larger conglomerates. Yeah, which is less exciting. Yeah. But, yeah, fun scene. Definitely uh, definitely recommend it. A lot of cool uh, bars. Anyone that goes to Italy, I have some, uh, some, some great beer and wine picks for you um, if you're looking to do things. So, yeah. Um, looking at football now, pivoting back to Syracuse Sports, which is, I guess, one of the topics that we talk about on this show. Um, I guess we can talk about the coaching thing first. Um, that was kind of a surprise, although shouldn't have been, I guess, because we're getting pretty close to signing day. Um, Syracuse hired its quarterback coach. I know Dan and I have been talking about who that might be. We threw around a couple names of like you know former spread quarterbacks, guys like that, um, in Mike Leach systems, Art Brile systems. Um, ends up it was none of those guys. It was uh, Kirk Martin, who is the ten-year uh, uh, head coach of. Uh, Manville. 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 I, I, like, Manville High School. I, I kept in writing. The area. I kept writing Marvel for some reason. <laughs> Marvel High School. <laughs> the, um, we, we hired very Iron Man. Interesting assortment of, <laughs> of players. <laughs> but yeah, um, he assembled like an 108 and like 25 record while he was down there. Uh, played for two national titles. Team went 14 and one this year. 
kind of established a pretty nice recruiting base um, for TCU, A&M, Texas Tech, a lot of the other schools. They're about probably like 25, 30 minutes south of like downtown Houston. Um, They have a bunch of kids going to A&M. Hotbed down there for sure. Um, And and I know like the the one hang-up that some people have, and I can't blame them for it, is uh, the nepotism part of it. Um, For those who didn't see in the article and, and kind of in some of the Twitter chatter, uh, Martin is the father of uh, Dino Baber's son-in-law. Um, so obviously, like, that's a little bit of a connection. But if you look at his credentials, uh, you look at the fact that, you know, A&M fans, when it was first it was first announced that Martin was leaving, and then we found out the next day that he was headed to Syracuse, a bunch of them thought he might have been headed to UT. Um, he was mentioned kind of as a potential rising coach. Um, around Texas to join one of those one of the programs down there in the Big Twelve. So like, I think you saw Arizona fans also thought he might be going there. So yeah. he wasn't like an unknown commodity by any means. Yeah. So like he he has he has the creds, and then you know as we kind of talked about on the site and talked about on Twitter and in the comments, like the big advantage here is that like you look at the fact that we we jumped into Texas this year, we got Chance Amy, uh, we got Trey Allison. It's obvious that while we can get fast guys from Michigan, fast guys from New York and D.C. and even Florida, like a lot of those guys haven't played in this sort of system. If you're going to go down to Texas, um, you're going to find guys who are who you can quickly plug into this system and, and they know it. And you can get rid of that kind of, you know, one to two year ramp that, that a lot of Syracuse's players have had to deal with. You know, since Dino Babers arrived and that's not Babers fault necessarily. It's just kind of how it goes. Um, if you're not at a Texas school or an Oklahoma school, it's like you're not, there's not necessarily the same guarantees that you're going to have those level of athletes and the guys playing in that sort of system. So I, I, I commend him for kind of trying not to skip a few steps, but to make the next few steps easier um, on him and then also make it easier for, for Syracuse to be able to recruit you know, more players from spread offenses and air raids and more guys from Texas because obviously now with Martin, a guy who knows the landscape down there, knows the top schools, is from one of the top schools and now has a pretty solid pipeline into that area. And like Houston's obviously a huge hotbed. This definitely kind of escalates where we can go, I I think, in, in terms of, you know, how far this offense can take us. Yeah, it's a very interesting hire. Um, it's interesting because, uh, especially because I think we've talked at length about like the Texas thing, which we didn't know that the school was totally committing to. It, like you couldn't really tell if like we saw a spot with Chance Amy and uh, Trey uh, Allison. Trey, yeah, Trey Allison, um, and you know they were both in the same area, so it was like you know you could know, recruit them both at the same time. Um, but it was hard to tell like whether those were two one-offs. So we've gotten like a Texas kid in a couple different classes before. And it was just like it was always like a weird spot where it's like oh there was mutual interest here for whatever reason. Um, the fact that Baber's system is a very comfortable fit for Texas players because, like you said, like that whole state is so dedicated to the spread at this point, um, and especially when you consider a Houston area uh, coach and school. Um, obviously, the nearest big Power Five program to there is A and M, um, which is now kind of gone away from things. I don't want we'll to see what Jimbo Fisher's program looks like first he's going no, pro style he's pro style coach he's notable like a famous pro style coach now at this point in college football like there's no true pro style like stanford's probably the closest but there's like everyone has spread concepts um everything's like a kind of a blend at this point even in the nfl like no one's running you know smash mouth i formation every play like there are spread concepts everywhere but baylor is obviously still running like some very like they didn't totally gone away from the brile stuff because that would have been very jarring um, Texas is obviously a spread team. Texas Tech's obviously a spread team. So for for A and M to kind of vacate that area as like a true spread program, and for us to coach one of the best um, high school coaches from that area, especially in a place like Texas where the high school coach like like fraternity is such a big thing down there, uh, you can't really overvalue it. So by taking a guy like this who has connections to everyone else in that area and his own school, which was producing, I think we looked it up yesterday, they had like. Uh, how many kids going to FBS to Power Five schools? There's at least like eight? six or seven. Yeah, it was like, yeah, it was like six, seven, eight. Like kids just going to P five schools alone. Like never mind all the kids going to you know your like Conference USA schools. I think it was like twelve total going to going FBS, which is impressive. Um, so obviously we're not going to go and become the Houston area Power Five school. We're not going to go beat out A and M for a bunch of these kids. 
What we can do is if you battle with Houston for some of their top kids and you battle for SMU's top kids and you fight with Texas Tech for a kid here and there and, you know, maybe beat out a Texas, a Texas for a kid because he's their plan B and we're their plan A, um, or they're our plan A, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> that's when you can start to have really build depth in that area because Texas doesn't get – it started to from the SEC for a bit and that's kind of fallen off the wayside. There was a good article – I forgot where um, I wrote about it uh, recently. There was a good article uh, where they talked to uh, some coaches in the area, um, and like the SEC has kind of retreated a little bit. Like right when A and M joined, it was a big push there from a lot of schools, and now Texas is starting to you know reassert itself with Tom Herman there. Um, but I think there's an opening there. Like Florida gets mined by everybody, and Florida we're gonna go to. That's always gonna be like arguably our main spot, and we're always gonna take the couple kids in New York. And then Jersey, Pennsylvania, that whole area. Um, this year, actually, it's interesting because Texas is one of the only three schools, uh, three states that we have multiple players from, including with Florida and New York. But I think that Texas is still relatively unmined because it's not as um, it's not as compact as Florida, and the Florida, like the kids, are all from like these very specific spots. Well, it's also system specific. Like, and it's system specific. Which like that's is, the thing. Like, uh, Flor- yeah. for us. Florida has like plenty of spread teams, plenty of air raid teams, but it has a ton of pro style teams. Like that, there are just a lot of. There's a lot more variance, and those guys are probably. It's not that they're better athletes than the players in Texas, but you're probably going to have a larger collection of just pure athletes there. Yep. And guys, Texas, who, you're getting plug and play. Yeah, you're getting plug and play football players. Yes, yeah. like, which getting, is nice. No, it's totally nice. It, it definitely makes it easier for us. Um, and again, it's not, to, it's not really to decry Florida players or Texas players, to be honest. It's just more to point out, like, for a team like us, like, while the Florida players are great, and obviously we've had a ton of success with those guys, plugging in the Texas players is going to be a lot easier. I know you mentioned SMU and Houston. Like, well, like this year we flipped, even without Martin on staff, we flipped a kid from Houston and a kid from SMU, you know, right. in, in the final week before, um, before the early signing period. So I, I would definitely assume that going forward – um, and I know a bunch of recruiting experts said, you know, where before Martin was going to Syracuse, they said, like, you know, wherever Martin goes, he's probably going to be able to bring, you know, whether it's this year or in the coming years, bring some kids with him. I mean, I'm I'm cool with it, and I'm especially cool with it if we're going to bring kids from, you know, again, his former school that was producing, you know, at a pretty solid clip in terms of uh, P5 kids and, uh, and just FBS kids in general. I mean, there's not a – there aren't – that many schools countrywide that are going to be able to give you 10 to 12, uh, you know, FBS players in a given year. The question is like, how will he be with the quarterbacks, which is obviously a huge thing for us. I think it helps that, you know, we have Babers in place. So he, you know, Babers is going to be doing a lot of the coaching himself. Um, but you know, his son is a quarterback. I think he's going to what North Texas. Yeah. And he threw Um, for like 3,300 yards and 39 touchdowns last year. And he's also going to play for an air raid system. Um, under uh who's the north texas coach now is it uh it's one of the former tcu offensive coordinators uh seth, seth, Luttrell. seth yeah. Luttrell, um who i think was the co oc with sonny cumby that sounds right no never mind he was not he was uh he was at unc um yeah as assistant head coach who am i thinking of well, let me look, let me look up with a random TCU <laughs> coaching staff from like was it, 2015. Was it Josh Fuente? Was it Josh Fuente was already gone? Yeah. At that point, this is. I feel dumb, and then I realize, oh, this is pretty on brand for uh, for, yeah, for is, this podcast. This is exactly what this podcast does. Uh, Doug Meacham. Ah. Uh, Doug Meacham and Sonny Cumbie. Uh, Doug Meacham is now the dot like that giant pay bump to be the OC at Kansas, and is. Not going to be there much longer because that old staff's going to get fired after next year. Oh, yeah. Um, it's not really his fault. And then uh, Sonny Cumbie is still at TCU. Um, he's now like the co, the, I think he's the only OC now. Anyway, um, Seth Luttrell, who was at UNC, has done a very nice job there. Um, but again, they're another air raid. I mean, they're very much a Texas style school. So um, the fact that his son's a quarterback, the fact that that school produces quarterbacks in general, um, and produce a ton of talent. I think it, you know reason. You know you can reasonably assume that he will be uh, at least a pretty good quarterback coach. And the recruiting aspect is huge. And the fact that we have Babers overseeing the offense like makes me a little less worried than if we were like you know handing over some huge part of the defense or the offensive line to a guy who hadn't didn't really have experience there. Um, as silly as that sounds, because quarterback's the most important position. I think you know there's more focus there. 
And obviously, Babers knows what he wants out of that position as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, you hit it on the head there. Like, Babers can supervise kind of where that all goes. And then I, I do feel like bringing him in is going to be able to help these guys along. I think while we were happy about Chance Amy, obviously we were wondering how he was going to fit in with, you know, being a dual threat and Babers not really being like a huge dual threat proponent. Um, obviously, Tommy DeVito is much closer to a pro style um, passer. He's obviously got a big arm, um, and he's someone who, you know, just a little bit of coaching, a little bit of coaxing from uh, from Martin, you know, that should really uh, do him a, a whole lot of good. Uh, that's not to say that Sean Lewis w- w- was a bad quarterback coach by any means, but, um, you know, I, I, I think that having Martin in there could end up um, bringing some better results uh, for us in terms of DeVito's development. Um because obviously, again, like DeVito's a big arm. We liked what he was able to do in high school, but what he was doing in high school for, for a New Jersey program that wasn't necessarily running, you know, 85, 90 plays a game. Um, like, th- there has to be a little bit of a ramp up um, from that to, to what he needs to do um, in, in this system. And I think having a coach, you know, kind of that well-versed in, in developing much younger talent and turning them into, you know, potential D1 players, I think that's going to that's gonna do uh, DeVito a whole you know, world of good. Yep, and it also helps that he has a whole other year to hopefully um, be groomed, and, and hopefully we'll see him in actual play, you know, on the field this year, but in situations that aren't, like, super pressure-packed. So um, I think this is actually, like, the timing, not with this coaching change specifically, but the timing with DeVito and everything has worked out quite well. I mean, we talked about how advantageous our quarterback situation was heading into last year, and obviously it doesn't, you know, they, that doesn't really factor in. If Dungy continues to get hurt, um, obviously it was different issues this year. But um, hopefully if, if Dungy can stay healthy next year and we can get some work for DeVito, I think this thing all, this this whole process kind of works itself out about as well as you could have hoped for a, a quarterback transition between, like, one of, you know, whatever happens with Dungy from here forward, he's one of the best quarterbacks we've ever had um, and then one of the biggest quarterback recruits we've ever had. Yeah, I mean, like we said, it's a nice transition from one to the other. Um, and again, it's a guy like Martin, and obviously having Babers in there, both set the stage for us pretty well. Um, looking ahead to signing day, though, obviously, you know, we talked about guys like Chance Amy who are ready in the door. Um, there are a few players still left out there. I think we have, what is it? I think we have six spots left um, available. When you look at the the inbound transfers that have come in, um, I know we had you know a really nice uh, commit the other day, and Jarvian Howard from down in Mississippi. If he signs, Dan, does that give you any kind of pause about like the running back situation we have right now? I mean, we have Adville Adams um, from Oklahoma, um, who won't be able to play this year. But he'll play in twenty nineteen, um, and he is. He is exciting. Yeah, he, he, he is very exciting. We have, um, you know, Jarvin Howard just committed. He's a, he's a high three-star guy with some SEC offers. Um, he just Both committed. of his in-state power programs from Mississippi right. were on him. Yeah, so he, he's, he's, a, he's a, a quality player and a guy who's, I mean, I'd be surprised at this point if he signs elsewhere next week. Uh, he said he's going to sign with SU on Thursday. Um, but then the rest of it, like we have, Akeem Dixon's been um, – you know, committed verbally since April, May. Um, and he's, he hasn't really offered much of an update. He's not really active on social media. Um, Jawar Jordan from, uh, from Arizona. He, I don't believe he's visited. Um, I know he's gotten some big offers. Um, I really don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, and then the, the, the big other big name out there, um, you know, we have, is it like Mikhail? Are we just calling him that? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, Let's go with Michael. Let's go. It's. I don't think it's just Michael. Um, could be. It's. It could be. Um, I hate like mispronouncing these names. Uh, it's. The, it's the four-star running back Salahuddin, uh, out of Washington D.C. Who same it seems like he's a pit. A pit lean at this point. Yeah. But he is visiting. Uh, or did he just visit? Or is he, he? Okay, he just went on his visit last week, right? I think. Yeah, um, I think he just went on his visit ago. last week. I'd very much like him not to go to Pitt just because I don't want to see him. If he's not going to go to Syracuse, I'd rather he just went to USC where he was originally committed. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fine. Just, yeah. 
But there are some connections. Like Pitt and UNC are the other ones that are done visits, so... Um... Yeah, we were probably going to see him either way. Although, no, we weren't. If we went to UNC, we wouldn't have seen him. <laughs> no, because we played them this year, and... Uh... Well, no, he would... Yeah, I guess we could see him this year, technically, if he went there. True. But it doesn't sound like they have a... It sounds like Pitt is, like, the main one. Now, all that being said, like, you know, this per the 24-7 crystal ball, and that thing is, is right a lot of the time. It is definitely not right all the time. Um, and uh, it sounds like he had a good visit. Um, he has a, a previous relationship with Abdul Adams, uh, who are both from D.C., but they also play the same position. So I don't know what that means. We also just had another, as you said, Jarvan Howard, also a running back. Um, Sal Houghton also went to the same high school as uh, Ed Hendricks. And I think Dre Sisko used to go there. No, Dre Sisko went to school in New York. There was somebody else on the roster that used to go to uh, his high school. Yeah, so there are connections. Um, I would certainly take him. Uh, I think we would take him as well. He's, you know, it seems like the, our, our, our strategy with taking running bats is like we'll find a way to use them. It's not necessarily going to be like it's not, we don't have to necessarily worry about taking like a bunch of running bats in the class because some of them could be receivers, some of them could be. Um, you know, who knows? Like, we're, we're going to get creative. Uh, that's been Baber's MO since he got here. Um, I think with a talent like that, if you can get him, uh, you definitely take him. I do wonder if taking Howard means that we don't think we're in the running for him. Um, but it could, it could not. Like, that could just be we were going to take both of them if we can. So um, it, it'll be interesting. It sounds like Pitt is the favorite, but uh, nothing is, is certain until that signing day. So, um Either way, I think our running back situation has been has gotten a lot stronger in the last couple of weeks, especially with Abdul Adams, who um, I'm, I'm, it's a little interesting that he left Oklahoma. I know he wasn't getting a ton of use there, but they, you know, he was matriculating up the day. I mean, he was getting some looks, and he definitely had a, a role, a little bit of a role in that offense already. And he's obviously young, but man, that kid can fly, and I cannot wait to see him play uh, starting in 2019. Yeah, in 2019, with I mean, other than you know, Cody Conway would be the only guy graduating. Um, behind a very veteran offensive line, and I mean, this is what you know what you and I talked about, and it's what we were alluding to earlier. Like when you look at how the the development of everybody comes along, like 2019, you've got Devito probably in his first year as starter, but behind a veteran offensive line, most of whom would be juniors and seniors. Uh, you'd have a lot of wide receivers who spent all of 2018 kind of getting acclimated with a senior quarterback at the time in Dungey. Um, you got running backs. You know, between Adams and you know Strickland would be gone, but Mo Neal, no matter where he would play, like th- th- there's a lot to like about 2019, and even more so now with him um, and the other Michigan State transfer kid from uh, who's a former four-star um, at receiver. Like, th- 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 there's there's definitely 2019 does look very promising. I just hope we're not. I hope we don't have to wait for 2019 though for like the thing the good things to start happening because while you and I have patience and obviously like a lot of other fans do too like there's plenty of fans that don't um, and you know you can only do so much um, as a coach and as a program when you know places have empty and nobody's really buying in because they they see you know stagnation in terms of wins even if the quality of play is obviously better. Yeah, it would definitely be a tough spot if we don't make some like. You know, making a bowl next year should be attainable and is is definitely needs to be a very, very strong focus. Um, and then you'll start to win some people back, and then 2019 could be exciting. Um, I, I do think, like, it all depends on context, and, and you know, we've seen, seen so many seasons that derail from injuries and just from weird stuff like that. Um, but there are definitely, uh, definitely reasons to be excited for years down the line, even though 2018 I think we're all pretty excited for as well, at least on our side here. I am now watching Abdul Adams' highlights from his game in Baylor, <laughs> which is when he had the 99-yard touchdown run from literally he took a handoff uh, on, like, an in, inside zone play uh, from the one and just – I know Baylor's defense was hot, hot garbage this year, but he just absolutely – he makes, like, two guys miss and then it explodes and just glides up the field. It's, it's beautiful, um, and hopefully he does that in the Dome uh, in a couple short years. Who knows? Yeah, maybe we promised him 44. I guess we'll find out soon enough. That would be a lot, but whatever works. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it at this point. Um, one other name I wanted to mention in terms of uh, targets for National Signing Day before we kind of wrap up here. Uh, strong side defensive end, uh, Caleb Okachukwu. Um, be weird to have a Chukwu and an Okachukwu. 
um, in the athletic department. But uh, very Pokemon esque. <laughs> Okachukwu is the evolved form. Of... <laughs> I've, I found him in the Pascal region, and then I brought him over to Syracuse. <laughs> anyway, that's that's some some inside baseball. <laughs> Or not baseball, as the case may be. Um, yeah, Okachukwu, like I said, strong side defensive end. He's 6'4", 240. Um, from D.C., St. John's College. Um, so I'm sure he knows some of the other D.C. guys in the team. Um, those are really the big names. Dan, have you seen anybody else, else in terms of like names tossed around? I feel like that was everything I've noticed. It doesn't mean that somebody else can't come along. Um, um, I think we have Fitzroy Gardner was here on that same visit, who is a linebacker, oh, yeah. defensive end, uh, type player from Armwood down in Florida, uh, which is a school that puts out a lot of players. Um, he was here on that same visit weekend as uh, Okchukwu and, uh, unfortunately, what was supposed to be Devin Winters, who tragically passed away before that. He yeah. made it up, um, which is just unbelievably sad. Um he still listed on the visit thing, which is the only reason I brought it up. I started to say it, and then I was like, oh, no, that was that guy. Uh, yeah, he still listed on our visit uh, list, unfortunately. Um, but he was uh, supposed to have been here last weekend as well. Um, he is like a, you know, looks like a linebacker defensive end hybrid. He's, you know, sits 3 two fifteen. so I don't know if the plan would be to keep him at the end or a uh, linebacker to bulk him up. Seems like most of those guys end up getting bulked up and playing off the edge. Um but he is uh, us, and he visited, he visits Maryland this weekend. So it sounds like we're the two main contenders there. Um, but he could he could definitely be a, another option to take a, keep an eye on. He had some big sack totals uh, in high school, which is nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I always take that. I'll take at this point. I think you know. I, I know I've said this on the site and elsewhere. Like defensive lines, kind of our big focus here. Um, you know, going into. I think signing day. Obviously, we haven't like gotten a ton of them. Um, we haven't gotten any uh, to this point. But just in terms of like, I don't know what happened this cycle, and I'm not like criticizing the staff for it. But I do think like the defensive line we pursued it just didn't work out. Um, and it's obviously like when when a lot of classes, you know, two thirds of the guys sign um, on the early signing day, you kind of end up playing a little bit of catch up here you know in the last month and a half so hopefully we can close on a defensive lineman or two uh we really don't have a lot of depth there so it'd be great to uh to add something um i don't really know what the jugo situation looks like but i guess we had to go down that well we could um grad transfers too i'm sure there's going to be at least a few of those out there um and and we've we've done some work in terms of adding those guys late um, so, like I said, we have six scholarships remaining. I think we fill at least three to four of them um, on National Signing Day, but they could leave a couple spots extra um, that we can use for some late additions that hopefully make some immediate impacts. Yeah, we talked about it before. Um, but D-line, like, it seems like that's a position where you often find like those late transfers and those uh, junior college kids that you can add late, so... Hopefully we get some more reinforcements on that end. We had them last year, obviously, which helped out. Um, but that's so that's a spot where you can never use too much depth. Too true. Um, all right, Dan. I think that's a good place to, to end it for this week. Yes, I look forward to getting to bed because <laughs> it is now past midnight. But we had to. We could not wait another week without trying <laughs> to give our, our beloved listeners uh, the podcast content they crave. Yeah, all, all five of you. I'm sure you, <laughs> I'm sure you love this show. Um, anyway, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, on whatever other service you listen to us on. Um, we got Virginia on Saturday. We got Louisville on Monday before the next show. So should be an eventful few days. Hopefully Syracuse doesn't find itself in a bubble purgatory by the time we, uh, we talk next, Dan. Yes, sounds good. And on that note, go Orange. Go Orange. The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing a car that's got style and substance to spare. The all-new RAV4 Limited, featuring a sophisticated, muscular new exterior and available options like a premium JBL audio system and panoramic roof. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Toyota, let's go places. JBL and Clarifier, registered trademarks of Harman International Industries Incorporated. 
With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chandelier Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com.